Welcome to News in Context. I'm Gina Valeria. This special episode was done in partnership with Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. Today, we explore how the news media is doing in covering COVID-19, including the responses of public officials, the data on infections and deaths, and the deeper work of explaining and giving context to all aspects of this ongoing story. My guests are Ann Belden and Ed Bebout, two professional journalists turned college professors. Anne runs the award-winning journalism program at Santa Rosa Junior College and is chair of the Department of Communication Studies. Before coming to academe, she worked as editor and managing editor at several Bay Area community newspapers and national parenting publications. Ed spent 25 years in broadcast television as a reporter and anchor, including Santa Rosa TV station KFTY. He's now chair of the Communication and Media Studies Department at Sonoma State. I just watched part of Governor Newsom's news conference with my students in my beginning journalism class. And their comment to me after watching the news conference was, wow, that was so informational. There didn't seem to be any sensationalism to it at all. That was interesting. And that made me think, wow, how interesting the media that they're consuming has this sort of layer of, uh, you know, something else to it. So with that, I guess I want to ask the two of you um, how you think news media in general is doing covering the pandemic and all of the various aspects of it. Ed, let me start with you. Wow, that is a loaded question because <laughs> I don't think I can give them a, a straight, you know, simple grade uh, overall because it just kind of depends on, A, who you're watching. We could have a whole discussion, for instance, about how liberal media versus conservative media are filtering uh, what's going on. But even beyond that, I'm very disappointed with the day-to-day -day coverage, meaning this whole series of uh, headlines that ultimately end up being built around the president's news conference in the afternoon. And I use the term news loosely when I say that because they're, they're clearly uh, a feast of misinformation and propaganda. I don't see the value in that, yet it becomes the talking point for the entire next news cycle. So, so this whole um, interest in covering those live, although I know some stations have started pulling back from that, uh, has really hindered, I think, the understanding of what's really going on. Having said that, I've also watched a lot of programs that have been specifically focused on the pandemic and, and feature health experts and people who are in the, the know about how to approach the problem. And those have been very good and very informative. Unfortunately, I don't think they make up the majority of the broadcast day. That's an excellent point. It really does depend on where you're watching, you know, whom you're watching, et cetera. For my students and for I think a lot of people, it's all lumped together. I do want to get to in a little bit some of the coverage of the national news conferences that are going on and the different choices that are being made. But before I do that, Anne, let me get your take on how news media is doing in the coverage of this pandemic. You know, it's it's been a mixed bag. I have seen some really good coverage. I do appreciate that some of the major networks, I see CNN and MSNBC kind of calling out the president during these press conferences when there are factual inaccuracies. Um, but I also see a little bit too much focus on his performance, as Ed said, and what he said, and his lies, as opposed to the pandemic itself. I think there's been some highlights, like Rachel Maddow has done a lot of great coverage on nursing homes, 
Locally, I've seen uh, some really good explanatory coverage of like, for example, Kevin Fagan and the Chronicle has done some good work on why it's so hard to put homeless people in hotel rooms as opposed to what's taking so long. I've seen um, a lot of good stuff in the Press Democrat, some enterprise reporting. I think the newspapers, Washington Post and New York Times have covered it both at the, here are the numbers, here's what we're tracking, here's the latest medical coverage, and also at the human level and the toll it's taking on families and people who have suffered from this. I do see some gaps in in coverage, though. I'm seeing also at the local level more why and how coverage, which I think is really important because there's a lot of, I think, a lot of question in the public. Why can't we reopen right now? Why can't we just deal with this issue? And so having this explanatory coverage at the local and the regional level about this is why this is the way it is. And here are all of the ins and outs and the nuances of that. I think that's really important and helpful coverage. And again, I'm going to go back to the moment before this podcast where we were watching the uh, press conference. And at some point, Newsom's public health official, and forgive me, his name is escaping me right this moment, put up a graph about here's where we're at. And the graph showed a trend line of overall cases, both confirmed and suspected, and then overall ventilator use. And it was a flat curve. It wasn't going up or down. It was just kind of almost a flat line. And to my students, that was revelatory. Wow, when I see that visual, I understand that though things haven't gotten worse, we're still sort of in the same space we were a few weeks ago. And I think I've also seen a lot of good news coverage in that regard, showing the data, visualizing the data, explaining some of the ins and outs, which I think is so valuable. I really think this is uh, honestly the wheelhouse of local news. Here's what's happening. Let's get you the information. Let's get you the the data. I think you're correct in what you're saying. I think we have to give uh, some of the credit and or blame, depending on what you're looking at, to the people who are having these news conferences You know, for instance, you've heard a lot of good press about uh, Governor Cuomo's uh, news conferences. And and when I watch them, I have to admit, I've been fairly impressed with how straightforward and informational they are as a professor. I I love his PowerPoints. You know, they're they're very well done. And as you said, it makes it understandable if you're trying to figure out, you know, what uh, the situation is on the ground in New York. And obviously, that's extremely important if you're in New York. I also wanted to just jump on uh, the bandwagon and yell loudly in support of local news as well. As you know, that's where I spent the majority of, of, of my previous career. And this is the time when they really shine and the time when they're most needed. Because if you, for instance, live in a North Bay County like I do, you wanna know what's happening on the ground where you live. And I think our uh, local media operations have done a very good job of letting us know what's going on. More so than I feel like the, the picture we've gotten nationally from a lot of corners, which tend to be chasing, as I always call it, the, the bright, shiny object, as opposed to really trying to disseminate what's happening. You brought up Governor Cuomo, and then there's Governor Newsom, there's Bashirs in Kentucky and DeWine and some other governors around the country who are having daily news conferences. And honestly, in essence, some of them are doing 
journalism. Certainly they are newsmakers and they are covered by journalists at news outlets. But at this point, there are a lot of people in New York, in California, in Kentucky, in Ohio and other states who are saying, oh, I'm getting my news by watching my governor's news conference every morning and I'm getting the latest information. And certainly that's being covered by the news outlets as well. But some people are cutting straight to I, I want to get the information straight from the source. Now, this is separate from propaganda and from uh, spin, which we will talk about, I promise. But this aspect of these governors who are basically at this moment in time doing journalism. You know, I have uh, an assignment in my journalism one class where my students have to go to a board meeting uh, or cover a, a public meeting. And I've changed it during the pandemic to why don't you cover a press conference by Gavin Newsom or it could be Trump, it could be a local health official. And I got feedback from my students who covered Gavin Newsom about how informative it was as well. There seems to be a lot of research going into uh, and visuals that they have for every press conference. So it is almost becoming like a news report. Every day at noon, I've been tuning in and every Bay Area news station is just running that instead of their regular news coverage. I'm sure they, they sum it up for later, later, but their new news is just Gavin Newsom's press conference. That's been fascinating to watch. I had students who say, I tried to watch Trump. It was like two hours long and he kept talking about himself versus Newsom kind of shows He's been really good at anticipating the next step versus chasing the last one um, and admitting like, hey, we're not there on testing. We need to get better. And I think that he's been doing a lot of good kind yeah. of neutral reporting in, in his own way. It's funny that you say that. Again, I'm going to go back to the moment before, but one of my students commented, wow, every question I would have asked him at the press conference, he actually answered as I was having it. And I thought, well, that's what you want your stories to achieve. You want to answer the questions for your audience. On the flip side, we have this situation where the president is holding daily news briefings as well. And yet there's been a lot of criticism about exactly what information is coming out of those meetings and whether or not the information is propaganda. Recently, CNN, and I'm going to go, I've written down some of the um, lower thirds. A few days ago, CNN was covering a news conference in which the president showed a video, which appeared to be a propaganda video. And some of their lower thirds were, Trump uses task force briefing to try and rewrite history on coronavirus response. Another one was, Trump refuses to acknowledge any mistakes. Trump attacks media after series of reports he ignored warnings as virus spread. So CNN's making some choices, some editorial and gatekeeping choices. Yeah, it, it seems like they're editorializing. They're really taking a stand on, hey, we are not going to just present this information unfiltered. Yes, we see that there's an obligation to cover the president's press conferences, but we also have an obligation. I mean, the first tenant of the Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics is to seek the truth and report it. And if someone is putting a spin on or kind of gaslighting the whole country about his track record over the last couple months, then the press do have an obligation to call that out. MSNBC recently, when he showed basically a propaganda video, and MSNBC cut away from that they didn't know it was going to happen. They cut away and said, you know what, we're not going to show you this. Well, when it goes back to the regular press conference and briefing, we will cut back in. But this is propaganda and we're not going to show that. And I thought that that was remarkable and that they made that decision pretty much on the spot. 
there are questions during those press conferences that I just wish I could be there to ask. Because I think sometimes they ask these questions that, you know, if you say, how would you rate your job performance on this? You know what he's going to say. You know he's going to say a 10. And I saw that question. I was like, why ask him that? Don't ask him that. You know, ask why he's tweeting to liberate states that would be violating his own directives. Um, ask why he's, why he's saying he won't wear a mask when he's telling everyone else to. Ask more pointed questions that he can't deny and just say, oh, I'm a 10. I've made no mistakes. Right. Questions that actually get at the story that's being covered and that people are interested in in knowing more about. Ed, your take on on CNN's approach and some of the other news media outlets approach to the presidential press conferences. I like it to a degree. It worries me a little bit. I mean, there's one thing to fact check in real time. If you have an absolutely verifiable fact and it's misstated in the news conference, to put that up, I, I don't have a problem with. But do some of those drop lines cross a line in terms of Trump uses news brief as a propaganda session. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's mm -hmm. your, now you are editorializing. You may be right, you may be wrong, but the point is it starts to blur the lines that have already been blurred so much uh, in our business, given the certain constructs of 24-hour cable news where anytime anybody does anything live, they just take it. I would love to see them break away from that fact check. And, and I'm not just talking about the president, I'm talking about all the governors too, because everybody obviously is trying to present themselves in a best light. You know, they are politicians. And even if they're genuinely working for the public interest, they still are, or have the potential, I should say, to, to kind of manipulate a little bit what they share and what they don't share. So if news organizations not focus so much on covering the events live, covering them, and then doing a, a capsulation later with all the necessary fact checking. I think that would be the best of all worlds, although I don't realistically expect that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, good point. And I agree with both of you. I, those lower thirds, I think if you feel a certain way about the president and the president's response, those lower thirds can feel really good, right? But there is this line between you know, what's journalism and what's editorializing and, and where should we be in this moment? I want to call out specifically, um, I believe it was the New York Times, uh, Governor Cuomo is doing an amazing job, and so not to take that away, but the New York Times printed a really, I thought, important article last week about Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio of New York City and how they weren't communicating very well. And the article just kind of laid out what was going on and how that was impacting the response. And I thought, you know, it is still okay to be critical of our leaders in this moment, even if they're doing a good job in a lot of areas. And I, I saw that story as look, it's impacting the response and people's health, and that's why it's important to cover it. And so I appreciated that the New York Times went ahead and did that story, even though it was critical of someone that people are really loving right now. I think it's always the media's job, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, an independent, no matter who's in office, their job is to ask the tough questions. And for instance, uh, most governors and most uh, presidents will tell you they were not in love with the media during their time in office because of those tough questions. And I think while certain people have done, a, I'll single out Governor Cuomo in this regard, has done a much better job at presenting information 
and uh, being there to serve the public in terms of what's going on, it doesn't give him a pass to not be looked at in terms of how he's handling the response. And I think particularly in this uh, world of cable news and, and internet social media, we create these simplified dynamics where, okay, who's going to be the villain? Who's going to be the hero? As journalists, we have to resist that pull. We're talking with Ed Bebout and Ann Belden, two former journalists turned professors. Ann runs the journalism program at Santa Rosa Junior College, and Ed is chair of communication and media studies at Sonoma State. I agree with what Ed was saying, and I think we are getting dangerously close to that editorializing the news real time. We also need to hold our leaders to, to task right now. There, there's a tendency to want to go with the general narrative to comply, to be politically correct. The other aspect of coverage that I found really interesting is the coverage of the protests um, by relatively small number of people, but it's gotten a lot of coverage. And I think that some of that has been really black and white and, and other coverage in that area has been uh, more nuanced when you get into, well, what do these people really want? It, it's easy to dismiss them as, oh, they're Trump supporters. They have no point of view. And I think that many of them do have good points of view sometimes about um, what could be overly strict uh, measures. And I think it's really important that journalists keep up the nuance coverage, keep asking these, these questions so that it doesn't become this black and white, just like Ed was saying, these, these simple stories of, of bad protesters versus good social distancers that we need to really look at the nuance of, of every story and treat each each one uniquely. Okay, I want to turn to some audience questions. Jed writes, uh, you know, I've watched plenty of Breed and Newsom update press conferences. I've repeatedly noticed questions seemingly written in advance and then relayed by a press liaison. And the official in question never actually answers the question. I'm not sure if it's because everything has to be remote for social distancing, but there is this sort of structure right now where questions are coming at newsmakers in this sort of controlled format rather than just asking in person, which does allow for someone to skip over a question. How might a journalist in this context hold that newsmaker to account and try to get an answer to that question. I've seen with Newsom's press conferences that he does take some questions from reporters. It is a challenge. I mean, reporters are on the front lines too right now. And they're also trying to interview people via Zoom. And they've had to change how they do their job because they can't be there to look them face to face and say, no, wait, you didn't answer my question because they can easily be cut off. It is, it is challenging. It is, it is a really challenging environment right now. And I do think that we need to keep asking those questions about testing because I've seen politicians continually say, oh, we're testing more people, we're testing more people. Well, I know in Sonoma County, it's hard to get tested. There's a big screening process. I've had two students and one student right now who I've been trying to help get tested. I myself got tested a, a few weeks ago and it was not easy. And if I were not a journalist, I would not have figured out a way around the system or, or through the system to get a test. It's really a challenge right now when, when the press conferences are more controlled than ever before and not in our favor. During my time as a broadcast journalist, my least favorite thing to do in the entire world was be part of a press conference. Occasionally, you'd have to do it because the governor or somebody important would come to your area. And it just felt like the 
group IQ of the entire group of reporters just dropped significantly when you got into that situation because everybody is shouting over each other, trying to get in, get their question in. And some of the questions really aren't that good. I much prefer to see uh, journalism that's just kind of done individually, where they go out, they don't go to the news conference because I, I think those are of limited value, but they talk to sources. They talk to people who know what's been going on behind the scenes, and then they, they craft uh, well-researched stories. Um, now, there are a couple obvious problems with that. One is, is the economics uh, that we just don't have the same reporter pool that we used to have for people to go out and do that kind of digging. The second thing is, it just seems with the amount of media we have thrown at us right now, for instance, many great stories during this pandemic in both the Washington Post and New York Times that I feel like just got lost in the ether because there's just so much going on. No one's paying attention. At a news conference, it is so controlled, which is why relationships and beats matter, which is why that extra time to do the good journalism really matters. Richard writes, many public officials seem to be using COVID as an excuse to weaken FOIA, freedom of information. From our perspective, do we think that's a problem? Has that hurt coverage of the virus and its consequences? And has it hurt coverage of any other aspect of local, state, or federal government? So there have been, I've seen some uh, articles about how FOIA, at least at the national level, has been weakened in recent years, uh, particularly under this administration. And then, of course, we've got state sunshine laws as well. In this current context or leading up to this context, have you seen any issues with FOIA? And how might uh, a weakening of FOIA or Sunshine Act laws impact us as we try to cover stories like this and, and other stories that are going to come our way in the future. What reporters need to do, and I think we've been seeing quite a bit of that, again, from individual reporting uh, from uh, respective publications and programs, they, they need to keep asking the tough questions. Uh, for instance, for all the talk about freedom of information, uh, one of the biggest problems we had the last time we had a, a crisis of, of this proportion arguably was probably 9-11. Because of the nature of that particular story, we saw something play out in the media where they basically censored themselves. You know, they didn't ask tough questions. They didn't want to be seen as not being on the team during a time of crisis. Because of that, you could argue that things such as the Iraq war happened because it didn't get the kind of coverage and exposure, the run-up to that war that it deserved. That said, I do think at least in this instance right now, as this continues to play out, reporters do seem to be willing to ask tough questions of their elected representatives and, and healthcare officials. From what you say, I would say it's a question of if you don't lose your rights, you lose your rights, right? So we need to use those Sunshine Act laws and that FOIA option and push back and report on when we're having challenges and make sure we continue to put that in the public eye to keep those, those robust. On the federal level, it's a really important question when we're looking at how are billions and bill trillions of dollars being spent to stimulate the economy? Who's getting it? When we hear that um, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse got millions of dollars and these little businesses are, are going under, we need access to all those numbers. And so it's really important to fall back on what Ed said in the, to answer the previous question, reporting through sources, 
right now when you can't get that information is more important than ever. We've got to keep trying to get that information, even if it's delayed. We have two really good audience questions. One of them is, you know, there's lots of coverage on COVID, but there are many detrimental policies being implemented at the federal level that people need to know about. Uh, would you agree that these issues should be given equal time? And, and I think that is a great question because it seems as if all resources have gone into covering the pandemic, which it certainly deserves a lot of resources, but it doesn't mean that other news stops. In fact, this is a great time to do things under the table while the focus is elsewhere. If you look at some of the economics of the news business now, I think it's a full quarter of what were the reporters on the street a decade ago are now gone. You know, so that, that's a significant drop, like, a, you know, 25% of them are gone that were there a decade ago. So trying to cover these things can be very difficult. Now, we do feel that more on the local level, of course, with the uh, number of local news outlets dwindling elected officials, especially during a pandemic, they could get away with murder because they're, they're virtually not being covered. But I'll go back to the other thing I was saying, too, about the fact that we have so much information hitting us at all times that it's really easy for something to get lost in the shuffle, even uh, when it is reported on. I'm thinking on the national level of the, the firing of the inspector general whose, whose report led to the whole impeachment. That was pretty much done in late on a Friday, I believe, right in the middle of the, when this was all starting. And it, it got a little of attention, but nobody really paid attention to it for more than a day or two. Even more recent than that, the firing of the person who was supposed to oversee some of the, some of the money allocated by Congress to deal with the pandemic. It got a mention, but it didn't get that deep coverage. There's a lot of policies being implemented in every corporation and every in schools right now that I don't think we can keep up with them right now. I mean, I think the focus, especially with a limited reporter pool has to be on the coronavirus right now. On school level uh, administrators, we're trying to make sure that, hey, if we do this this one time, it doesn't mean we're gonna do this every year, right? <laughs> you know, this is not setting precedent, right? That's what uh, reporters can do, make sure that one-time policies are not becoming permanent policies. So this last question, I think, is a great question to end on. As I said earlier, I think this is the type of story that that is the wheelhouse of local and regional news, play-by-play, play, get the information to people. This viewer asks, do you believe the media should be providing more context? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, context, this is one of the things I talk about in my classes, is that I feel like a lot of modern reporting, particularly in my old medium of broadcasting, is losing a lot of that context. I'll ask students, for instance, uh, can you tell me what the big headlines are today? And they can tell me, but then if I ask them, why are those the headlines? What led to that? Then no hands go up because they're, they're losing the context of why things are happening. And so much of what the news we cover is so, related. It does not happen in a vacuum. It's related to things that happened before and policy decisions, personalities. So certainly the, the, the background issues that you're talking about leading to the decision making, I think is critically important for us to know. Thank you. Anne. I agree. I, I think we absolutely have to be looking at how we got here. We absolutely have to be looking at why we weren't ramping up testing supplies in February we have to be looking at what information was available when to uh, like Trump administration officials, to state officials, and could they have done more? 
what I compare this to is the fires in, in Sonoma County. The Press Democrat won a Pulitzer Prize for their reporting on how the county was not prepared for this. There was no warning system. The emergency managers weren't on site. They had no protocol for whether to notify everyone by cell phones or by phones uh, because they didn't want to wake up the whole county and get everyone rushing to the scene. And there were so many, there were a lot of mistakes made. And then that reporting helped lead to a lot of changes that I think prevented deaths in the Kincaid fire and, and other fires we've had. Um, and so it's absolutely critical that we do this analysis of, of what's gone wrong. Why are 44,000 people in this country um, and that number is going to go way up. Why have that many people died? Why is the U.S. 4% of the, of the world's population and more than a quarter of the coronavirus cases and a quarter of the deaths? I mean, we have to, we have to figure out the why and we have to look at who dropped the ball. We've done that in Hurricane Katrina. We've done that in every disaster where we're seeing um, poor planning. That kind of reporting leads to real policy change and real, real relief for people. And we do need to be holding ourselves accountable and holding our leaders accountable by exploring those contextual issues. Anne and Ed, thank you so much for joining me today on this very special News in Context, a special episode done in partnership with Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. Music in this episode includes Spring Fling by Track Tribe and The Heist by Silent Partner. In addition to hearing News in Context every Friday at 8.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on KSFP 102.5 in San Francisco, you can hear it on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Podbean, YouTube, and PRX. We're also on Twitter at News in Context SF, and you can find links to all of that at newsincontext.net. I'm Gina Valeria. Thank you for listening.